0: This episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by the MXR Bass Compressor. The MXR Bass Compressor is a powerful bass comp that allows you to fine tune your sound from subtle peak limiting to hard squash compression. It's a totally transparent comp to give you control over attack, release, ratio, input, and output. It also has an easy to use LED that allows you to meter your signal threshold on the fly. It's an essential piece of gear that no bass player should be without and is great for both live and studio applications. Go to jimdunlop.com and check out the MXR Bass Innovations Bass Compressor. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. This is the place for all us bass freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration, and definitely have some fun. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today we welcome the very, very talented Mr. Steve Jenkins. If you are hey. not familiar, he is a awesome bassist, uh, composer, teacher, a million other things I'm sure that we're going to talk about in a second, but he is awesome. And uh, what's up, dude?
1: Hey, what's up, Josh? Thanks for having me. I'm happy you're here, dude. How's everything? Uh, everything's okay. Everything's okay. Just, uh, yeah, just been, you know, trying to s- stay busy and, and it's been sort of a a mix of teaching and studio sessions and a lot of remote session work and stuff like that. Are, do you uh, typically do
0: mostly session work? Are you out on tour a lot,
1: usually? Well, it's, it's weird because um, I do a fair amount of road work. Um, I haven't been in LA like a super long time. So... Uh-huh. The current state of things like COVID happening was kind of a strange time for all that because as of that happening i'd been out here for about three years so i i was just beginning to sort of get you know get my bearings and i had done a couple touring things but it was definitely starting to um get a little bit more momentum i guess um but yeah no typically that's that's sort of part of it like road work recording teaching the whole nine right Um, on
0: man tell um let's talk about your history sure like uh your journey i guess you can say uh, from from where you started Mm -hmm. um playing music and and to where you are now
1: how far back you want me to go
0: that's that's let's start from the very beginning the day you
1: popped out (laughs) (laughs) well um i i grew up in in the washington dc area and um On the maryland side because you know basically the dc area could be generally it's either dc proper people talk about maryland or virginia i was on the maryland side i grew up in a town called rockville maryland and um probably like a lot of people that have older siblings my older brother is the person who got me into music so um when i was you know when i was really young like three like, like three or four something like that, I heard a lot of rock music like Van Halen and Kiss and Blue Oyster Cult. But I also had um, like a radio, and I would always like kind of search for stuff to listen to. And I ended up listening to a lot of like disco and funk music because <laughs> there was a radio station in D.C. called Kiss FM, and I thought that was Kiss's radio station. I was like, because, you know, they look oh, like superheroes. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, so it makes thought, sense. Yeah. Yeah, so – um i ended up hearing a lot of different things and um i was born in the 70s so the 80s was like a very um how old are you i'm 45. okay yeah so you look um, a
0: lot younger than that
1: thanks man uh i'm gonna credit genetics and, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe and maybe quitting cigarettes while i was still in my 20s uh, ah. for, for keeping that part intact but yeah i'm trying to fight trying to fight that process as much as I can I guess uh, I hear process. that it
0: happens to all of us yeah <laughs> go um, ahead man I'm sorry to interrupt you
1: no that's cool so um you know the 80s was a huge huge decade for music and I, I guess a lot of the things that influenced my approach to music uh, even independent of just playing bass I would say a lot of the like the musical quote, quote unquote values, if you will, I think came from like just growing up at a time where you'd hear all kinds of stuff on the radio, you know, and, and even things where things with sort of disparate elements would find themselves on the same song. Like, you know, like Michael, like Eddie Van Halen playing the guitar solo and beat it, like that kind of thing. Like just, Uh. you know, so, I mean, I think, I think that really informed how I looked at music, you know, just, just. There was a lot. I feel like even though there was a lot of variety in what was popular music in the eighties, there was a pretty strong element of musicianship. You oh, know?
0: absolutely.
1: That planted a lot of the groundwork for, uh, or a lot of like it planted the seed in my interest in music. And, and specifically, it's, it's weird that we're talking about this like the day after, but but Prince was like the first musician that really made me want to like study music and the reason for that was well besides him just being amazing (laughs) i had the purple rain soundtrack when i was in third grade and the end of the song purple rain there's that string that string part at the very end which i think claire fisher worked on but just hearing that really kind of mesmerized it was mesmerizing and and it made me really think about wow like that's that's just amazing that you know that's how this album ends like with these beautiful strings and stuff so That's sort of what captured my interest with music, but it was always sort of there. And I don't have musicians in my family. Like I have music lovers in my family. Like my, my, you know, it was always sort of a thing, but it wasn't, I didn't come from some long line of musicians where it was just, that's the family trade. Um, You know, for the most part, the family trade would have been like working in news media. So I kind of went in a different direction. How did they um, feel about that? What uh, I mean, my parents were really uh, supportive. Oh, good, great. Um, it was, it was definitely like, you know, like piano lessons were encouraged, and I, I did that for a while. Um, eventually, after trying a few instruments, because I did piano, and then I played trumpet. Then I got braces, so that was an unfortunate <laughs> pairing. You know, like, a, like a terrible, <laughs> terrible convergence of things. Ouch! Yeah.
0: Ouch! Ouch!
1: Yeah, like <laughs> I, it's like you know. I remember feeling like I want to practice, but I don't want this to hurt.
0: Yes. Um, so You know, I had braces, but I never played trumpet. But I, I can just imagine. I'm trying to picture it actually pretty vividly right now, and that doesn't seem uh, very comfortable.
1: Right. Like, that's some version of hell for someone, man. Like, yes. that's like medieval torture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It can get there for sure. Yeah. Oh,
0: man. Um. Why bass? W- was there, like, that aha moment where – where you were just like, that's what I want. Was there a particular player or bass line that you heard that you were like, hell yes, this is what I'm doing. I'm give me a bass in my hands right now.
1: You know, that's that's an interesting question because I know generally, I think I think for people of a certain generation, and maybe it's changed, but I know there's always the the one story where it's like, well, everyone played everything, and bass was the last instrument. I've heard um, that, that often. no one was playing. Yes. I that wasn't my case at all. I I stumbled onto bass mostly out of dumb luck and ignorance because I really love guitar and I really love drums. You know, and I and I play guitar and to a certain extent I play drums and I'm really into programming drums. So like my interest in those two instruments has never really um waned over the years, but for some reason. I didn't understand that like bass was sort of a good, good median point between both of those instruments. Like I, I had, it hadn't really occurred to me. It wasn't something I ever uh, was told. It just was something that I just, I think, in my ignorance is like a like a. I think I was twelve or thirteen when I got my first bass, something like that. In my ignorance, I, I didn't know any better, and I didn't know that like there were players that had been exploring you know, like different technical things. I didn't know that there were people that played chords. I just thought like, I, my whole thing was like, wow, I, no one's really messing around with bass the way they do with drums and guitar, you know? Yeah. And I think now, of course, everyone knows that's not the case, but like just being someone that was informed by the radio and MTV, there wasn't really a ton of, I, there. It, there, bass was definitely underrepresented, but occasionally, you know, you'd have like your level 42s and like, uh, you know, at that point, cult of personality was all over, was all over the radio. And I was like, that's a tough bass line. So, I mean, I think, but just relative to guitar being such a omnipresent instrument and and like drums, it's just seemed like bass wasn't really getting the love that it deserves. So I just, was, I liked the idea of it being kind of an underdog um, instrument, you know, like I was kind of, kind of into the idea, you know, not knowing a thing about it. So I got into it. And, um, I got a base when I was like 13 and, um, I, you know, the first teacher I had, luckily was really good at teaching and he kind of gave me the crash course. Like, well, here's all the stuff you can do. And, you know, my head just exploded because it was like the you know, <laughs> first time I'd ever heard certain things. But There's a name for this. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> but what's strange is there was definitely a lot of stuff I had already heard on the radio with some of these players, you know, like I had heard Shaka Khan with Anthony Jackson. I had heard, um, like Prince I had heard brothers Johnson and, and earth Wind and fire. And, you know, so it's like, I, it's not that I hadn't heard great basslines, but it was sort of baselines in the service of like music that everyone loves. And it, it sort of, you know, kind of sneaks itself in there. So, um, that's kind of what got me going. And then, i think like a lot of kids who get serious about playing you know i started really getting into like rush was a huge band for me because to me that was like that was a perfect way to get into songs with complicated parts and um there were things that technically i wasn't able to play so i would learn Getty Lee's parts and i remember learning like the bass break to free will before the guitar solo and then later uh that little bass fill break he does on La Vila Strangiato. I remember feeling like, you know, learning that was a huge watershed moment for for just um, learning the instrument. And, and the fact, it's not that, it, I mean, it wasn't that far into my journey that I was able to sort of work on that stuff. And I think that just fed my curiosity and it I- kind of um, pulled me in to the path of wanting to just get really great at playing and keep learning music and say it was easy, but it wasn't super difficult. Cause I I was able to see where the work I was putting was going. So seeing by the results incentivized me to want to keep pursuing it. And then I think I was kind of like, well, I kind of just want to do this for my job. Like this is what I want to do, you know? so I got really serious about playing in high school, and that was it. Like by ninth grade, by the end of ninth grade, I kind of knew, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm trying to do with my life.
0: That is awesome. What, so with Getty, was the, mm-hmm. which, which line, I know you, you, you learned that riff before mm-hmm. the uh, the solo, but was there a particular line that you heard or tune? that was just like, it captivated your whole uh, interest and, and you were just blown away and inspired. Was there was there something about it? Was there one particular song or was it just like the whole sound of, of the bass coming out out front, which wasn't, or it, you know, Rush, the bass, is such a huge part of all of that music. It's out in front, it's like, you know, almost like the lead guitar. So Right.
1: Is that something um, that drew you in, you think? I think yeah, I think that's the one thing about the way their their band worked was that like everything had space for it for itself. Um you know, there was always like room for the instruments to kind of do what they did. I actually really loved his playing on Signals, like the entire album. Like I just feel like the way the uh the way his bass lines were um, especially like on subdivisions like there are those fills but also just the way those fills would kind of cascade into like the next sections like i i love that i thought his his bass playing on the song digital man was pretty righteous um i i think that's that's the thing that really um i think i think in terms of his influence, what, what I liked about his playing was like they were sort of intelligent bass lines. Like there were, you know, like oh, it, yeah, it wasn't so sure. much the shredding or element of it, even though I, I like that. It was more just you can sing these parts mm-hmm. and there's like little themes and, and they're intelligent. Um, for me, for me, uh,
0: the parts that you can sing yeah. are parts that are timeless. They just become the favorites, even even a drum part. If you yeah. can sing a drum part, you're gonna remember it forever. Uh, guitar solos like um, um, Neil Sean in Journey—you can right. sing. Basically, every single one of those guitar solos are are vocal melody lines. Yeah, and that's what make them makes them so memorable. And, and the same goes for bass. So I agree with you on that. Yeah, it's very cool.
1: Yeah, I really you know I really dug that stuff. And then kind of after sometime after that. I got really into um, fusion stuff Mm. and and jazz and funk. And I think now, were you listening?
0: Were you listening to it, or were you already um, with your lessons? Were you learning how to read? How were you? How were you easing into that stuff? Was it mostly listening first, or did you just jump right into it playing?
1: It was listening to it um, listening to it and sort of trying to emulate what I was hearing. Um, I didn't really get into reading until kind of by force. Cause, um, the thing about high school is, is I didn't go to like an art school where there was like lots of musicians. Like, so when, when there was, it was one of the dramatic things that was like a musical, I, I didn't get asked to play bass. I was told that I'd be playing bass for the (laughs) musical. And and I didn't really know how to read, but I just knew that the amount of rehearsal that they were going to do for this thing, there'd be plenty of time to sit there and kind of make my way through what was happening. And a lot of the parts were, were quarter notes and eighth notes, and there wasn't anything super tricky. So by, by the end of it, I was getting pretty good at reading. Um, And then the teacher I had started getting me into reading like chord charts and stuff and just how to like approach stuff like that. And I wasn't like, I wasn't like, it wasn't like gangbusters right away, but I got very comfortable with the idea of like just looking at a page and marking the time by counting and stuff. I still would say reading, I wouldn't say it's my weakest thing all the time, but I think if I don't work on it constantly, if I don't try to engage it, it gets rusty. But um, I, I would always say I, I'm an ear player first. And then I, what I've had. I am to as do, well. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so how, do you find that like sometimes you have to go back and like figure it out and inform yourself, oh, that's what this sound is, or like yeah. that's, that's how this looks on the page? You know, well, that's 100%. That's how I did it. Yeah,
0: yeah. 100%. Um, it's for me, it was so much quicker um, to just do it by ear. That it was frustrating yeah. to go back and have to, because it's almost you know you're 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 becoming a toddler again, learning how to walk when you already know how to play and and oh I know what that is I know what that is so it was it was really um, uh, testing I should say for me to do but my grandfather drilled it into my head to be able to do but you're right if. I don't practice it very often i don't have to read very often but when i i do you know you don't do it (laughs) you do get rusty on it man
1: yeah i i just think it's ultimately the quickest way to remember things and it's the quickest way to document an idea so i do it a lot in that regard if i don't if it's something that i want to make sure i can come back to and fully understand what it is. Sometimes I, I, you know, like if it's just a, like a baseline idea or a groove idea, I can, I'll just use voice memo. But sometimes like if I have more that I want to remember about it, like there's chords I want to put on it, or if there's things that are more realized that I'm not going to be able to just do real fast, it's quicker for me to just write it out. Um, Mm. and then because I've been teaching and I've been sort of working on my own, um, curriculum, which eventually I'll have a book. Um, I've been doing a lot. That's more. awesome.
0: Do you have a title for
1: it? No, not yet, not yet. I mean, I think I'm trying to figure out how to like separate some of the concepts so it's a few books versus just like one giant compendium of things. Okay. Because I th- I think people like the digestible element of stuff, and it's it's less daunting. But mm-hmm. um, if it yeah. has
0: pictures, I'm definitely in. <laughs> Oh, cool! (laughs) I like picture books. No, I'm just
1: kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, you know, it's really humbling to kind of take a a phrase that, you know, you've gotten a lot of mileage out of, or, you know, there's things that someone can get from like checking it out to, you know, in in terms of just finding insight, if they want to figure out kind of like how you do something, like to sit there and actually like figure out how is this supposed to look? You know, how does it, how do I notate this correctly? Like, what's the best way to... You know, I also, um, I, for some of the things, cause I've been teaching this, this course on advanced techniques at LA college of music. Like I've oh, been cool. using tab to only to indicate fingerings, because I think that's part of it. It's like, well, here's an easy way to play. Here's how I do it. So here's where you should be shifting. If you're trying to do it, you know, the way I do it, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a, it's not necessary, but at least to give people an idea of like, Here's a technical idea behind, you know, what the left hand supposed to do on this phrase. Um, so it's not as intimidating as it might look. But then I also respect people who don't care and figure out their own way. You know, how, long, sta- have you, how long have you been teaching? Um, at, Like at the school or just in general? Just generally. Oh, OK. I've been teaching lessons in some capacity since like the mid 90s. Awesome. Yeah, I, if, I, I like it a lot. The ultimate is when the student becomes like, I guess metaphorically like a self-watering plant. Like they, they, they start to see the results of the time that they put in and they're kind of self-sufficient on their journey and then I'm more of like a coach. It doesn't mean I work less, but it means that like, there's a certain amount of autonomy they achieve where they can just come in and we can like play music and I can give them like Probably the, cause I think the, the real, the real difficult part, I don't know, like if you'd agree with this or not, but I think like the real difficult parts of playing an instrument, sometimes it's not like the obvious things, like, you know, use this technique or, or, uh, you know, use, use this particular set of notes to address the chord. Sometimes it's more like, Hey, like watch your articulation or watch how long you hold this note or don't hold this note for. Um, because that that affects how everything
0: changes it all, yeah. It can change it. And I
1: I really think those are the things after a certain point. Like, you know, if everyone's kind of on the same in the same place harmonically and they can play, that's like there's that part, but then it gets more um people start to drop off when it gets into like note length. Um What's your tone like here? You know, like like the the intangible things that that don't really you don't get them you you don't really achieve these things by like giving yourself eight hours in a room. It's like you get it from like listening. And it's like okay, this bass line I like on this reggae song, like Aston Family Man Barrett, he held that note as long as he possibly could before it went into the next measure. You know, what I mean, like stuff like that where yeah. it's like. I think that's the, that kind of stuff, that kind of listening. How do you, Where,
0: how would you, um, recommend that people practice that? I know one of the things that has helped me tremendously, even now I still practice it, is just having, um, a recording setup available, even if it's just garage band or something like that. And, and it is, uh, accessible to, to so many different people now, which is awesome, but yeah. I, I'll just record some playing even if it's you know 16 bars of a simple line and listen back to it and see where i held the note too long or right. not enough time and see how it changes the groove but how, do, how would you recommend people practice that
1: well i i think there's two ways and one of those ways is what you were saying just now because uh, i think that's the thing ultimately being able to play into into like an interface and uh record your stuff into a DAW and then be able to see where the waveforms line up that stuff. I mean, like, let's assume everyone's got like a decent enough setup where there's no latency, but, and they can play, you know, and, and it's reacting the way they want it to react. So let's provide like all the technical stuff is in play. Those things are not going to lie as far as like where stuff happens, you know? And it's like, I've definitely become like a better musician understanding like where, you know, like how to pinpoint things that, um, you know, maybe, maybe I need to like consider this more like lean back here or like, you know, I think all of those things. I definitely, I know for me, I've benefited from doing that exact thing, like playing into a computer and then even trying weird stuff. Like, uh, you have to be, I think people have to be willing to go the extra mile with stuff like this, where it's like, okay, let's say, there's a tempo you're really comfortable at. Like, let's say it's like, I don't know, like 118. What's it feel like at 115? What's it feel like at 121? You know, because that's the thing. Ultimately, there's like weird inconsistencies like we all have sometimes. Like you can feel, you can sometimes do that thing where you play and you hear yourself adjust like in like maybe the span of two beats. Um, So I, I think like that kind of stuff is invaluable and i think ultimately any kind of self-recording um is is also invaluable because like if people were going to be out on gigs like let's just say we're in a we're in a place in time where people are playing gigs again i think that's the ultimate thing also like people just have a way to record what they're doing and give themselves enough space to to have objectivity when they're listening back i think that's really valuable but then the other thing is I think listening to music just as a listener and not having the instrument anywhere nearby or having any musical instruments nearby, you're just listening with your ears so just those as your instruments and just trying to like focus in on something I think that's where a lot of that stuff clicks, you know um, that's like a great just, it's point. almost like a yeah, it's like a passive way of studying it, but it ultimately comes back to uh, comes back to like, I think the way, I think sometimes like being able to hear, hear whatever it is people are doing, um, and maybe trying to track something as like a listener versus like a bass player—that's helped me out too, you know, because it's like it breathes differently. Like if I'm thinking about being a bass player, sometimes it doesn't help my my uh, my my approach to recording something. But if I'm trying to look listen to it, like we're just listening to a tune and I just have him playing bass while we're listening to this tune, that that kind of thing can give me, like, a different um, perspective on it. But I, anyway, I think encouraging people to mess around with recording and, like, try stuff, I think that's the number one, that's probably the number one thing that would give people the quickest insight, you know.
0: I, I agree with you, man. Um, experimentation is key. Um, yeah. I've, I've been able to do so much more just by not worrying about if it's right or wrong. Yeah. And personally. So that has helped. But you really just got to get in and, and work, do it. Right. Um, let's see. Let's t- what is your approach to, uh, say, a line? You know, you're doing a session, you're in a session or on one of your records, and uh, you hear a groove or you hear, hear the tune. How do you approach it?
1: Um, well, I mean, I think... I'm a very drum centric bass player in that. I like, I you always
0: just, I seriously thought you just said I'm a very drunk bass player. Oh
1: yeah. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, listen, man, I, I think there's no wrong approach as long as nobody's driving and, and nobody gets hurt. But no, I, I I'm very like, I'm, I get very focused on the drums. And so, um, like I try to listen to what the drums are doing. And then I think the second part, which is not not a far second part. Like it's probably like like this. It's staggered, but not by much. I try to think about um, if I can hear something that can weave a line through everything that's happening. So if I if I got the rhythm idea kind of dialed in, then I'd probably also want to know what the harmony is going to be, and then I also want to know how long the phrases are, and that could definitely have a big effect on the kind of thing I play because if I have four bars to develop an idea, then I'm gonna approach it way differently than if it's like, okay, the chords move around and it's more about just keeping a constant feel and addressing the harmony. So I think I think it sort of um it, it just depends on like what what the situation is. Sometimes if it's just a complicated part that needs to be executed, because I get calls for that kind of stuff sometimes um
0: then it's just you mean you mean um basically just copying what they what's already there yeah copying perform, what's already there performing like, a part
1: yeah performing a part okay um then i try to think about if if it's if the creation of the part is not my responsibility as much as just the execution of the part mm-hmm. then it's more okay where does it need to sit and right. and um so then i'll i'll kind of like focus on that but it's but i don't feel know good. i mean i Huh?
0: It's got to feel good. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's got to feel good and and it's got to have the right sound. But I think, if to to give a simple answer, I think my approach, I try to be as open as I can. Okay. And I try not to let myself get too married to the ideas that I think might be the best ideas. Like, I might reserve judgment until I'm 100% sure with what it is. But it also depends you know, I think sometimes these methods are easier when you're in a room full of people. Sometimes it's harder when you're, cause I know I, we've all been doing stuff remotely. Right. So yeah. sometimes uh, it's difficult to know exactly what the client might want. So I try to ask more questions going into it. And okay. I think, I think there's, there's a certain value in getting instant feedback, but like from that, Kind of thing where if you're in a room with someone like, yeah, do that, you know,
0: uh, yeah. like
1: sometimes if there's not the yeah, do that, <laughs> then it's like <laughs> or or on the
0: other hand. Oh, that shit sucks. Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse my language. Right. That sucks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, any kind of instant thing like that, though, I think is is really good because then then it kind of it gets you on to the next. That's but, almost um,
0: that's almost like a um, live performance performance. Um, um, uh, help as well um you know you you vibe off the environment and and the audience and um I get that in the studio as well you know with a producer or with an artist or whatever I do enjoy however um doing some stuff like this remotely though it's been very cool it's been yeah. sort of freeing
1: but um it, I love it too I, I love it too um I definitely think there's a mindset I don't know if you have I mean like have you found that sometimes like you have to like step away from stuff like because you can just like you can like kind of drive it into the ground if you if you do too many takes or you know like
0: overthinking it yeah, yeah oh uh,
1: yeah, I do
0: because <laughs> I'm here what do I got? I got the base and I right. got so much time (laughs) without touring (laughs) right right
1: yeah Um, go ahead man so what do you find yourself doing to fight that um in that in that situation like do you create urgency like do you do the kind of thing where um like i do here's what i end up doing and and maybe a lot of people do this because i've talked to friends about this but like i'll give myself if it's not a deadline oriented thing where it's like like if i have more than like three days to play something which sometimes is the case i'll give myself seven chances Uh, and if it's not and if it doesn't work i won't touch it for like a day
0: stepping away definitely helps even if it's just a walk around the block or whatever you come back to it and you're going to to hear it differently and sometimes you're like oh damn that's it and then other times y'all you know what i need to do this a little bit different but right. I think it really just depends on on the day, really, and what it is. So I was watching a few videos, and mm-hmm. um, crazy, crazy, crazy technique that double thumb stuff you're doing is, you know. Um, oh, thanks. No, it, it was I was blown away. I was like, damn. Um, but for you how do you figure out where you want to use it and where you don't want to use it? Say on your own stuff, uh, versus, you know, maybe a record you're playing on for an artist.
1: When, well, when do, when do you need that stuff personally? <laughs> the short answer is never, um, <laughs> never. I, and, and like, I'm not, I'm not shooting myself in the foot by, by saying that because, because for me, a lot of those things, just grew out of curiosity and I've, you know, sometimes I'll do that stuff for the gram, but like, I, I don't necessarily get called to play like that very often, you know? Mm. Um, like I'm very, you know, it's one of those things where it's kind of just like, um, there's, there's things that like, I've definitely been able to garner from, from some of those techniques that, that have helped me in other ways. like there's a lot of stuff I do with my left hand where I'll do like hammer ons and pull offs. And sometimes just when I'm playing and I want to have like a smoother kind of, uh, articulation with less attack from the right hand. Um, it works really well for certain types of fills and like, I'll use that all the time. But like, as far as like the crazy, like rhythmic stuff, I think I can tell you that like, there's one record I played where I used that stuff a decent amount, and it was probably some of the hardest music I ever had to learn how to play. Like it was like super technical, and um, I, I just felt like yeah, you know, it was it was such a difficult project to finish. But um, generally, I don't you know like it's it's different because I've made two records, and the goal of those records has never really been to be like here's what, here's all the neat stuff one can do on the bass. Like right. there's, there's definitely one that probably, you know, if people are going to give out citations for that, the first one maybe has more moments like that than the the second one. But, but um, generally I think if I use that stuff at all, I'm trying to find a moment where it works. You know, like I have one tune that I wrote where I kind of use one of those techniques like ad nauseum, but I wrote parts around it and that's how you execute the part. So it's not really trying to be so aware of itself, but I also think it's not something that could be played without that, that technique. So maybe it's sort of like that. I don't know. But the idea was at the end of the day, it, it sounded musical enough for me to put it out. So I, I try not to let that stuff become like engines of creation. It's more just like, here's some stuff I learned how to do. But like at the end of the day, like even with like, some of the crazy guitar players I've worked with. None of them want me to play that stuff <laughs> in their music. I mean, unless I have right. a moment, like it's a solo thing or something like, yeah, it, it's never really been. So it's it's kind of like, um, I don't really know what the analogy would be. Maybe it's like, like if, like if someone's a butcher, but they can also like swallow swords and juggle knives and stuff. Like wow. their job isn't really to do that, but yeah. they,
0: but they can, you know, they can. Yeah
1: you know so i think i don't, i couldn't think of a better example than that but i think no, no, you know what no, i'm saying
0: I, I get it i get it it makes sense I yeah. would, for people that are listening for the listeners um that may be sort of going down that path of learning all these great new techniques mm-hmm. but also trying to to find that middle ground where they're holding it down for somebody yeah. and they can actually get a gig because like you were just saying you don't get hired as a bass player right now to do that a lot of the times. So um, how would you, what's some advice that you would give them to find that middle ground?
1: Well, the one thing that I don't like in any artistic medium is the idea of putting ceiling or limitations on things. Cause I think no matter what, even if someone wants to explore, let's say like chords on bass, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think, there's a case to be made that sometimes chords on bass can sound really great. Um, now if you're in a band where you have two guitar players or a guitar player and a keyboard player, you're probably not going to need to play chords that much, unless like there's an arrangement decision where maybe someone drops out for part of a verse and there's some bass chords. Like I think, but, but generally. If we're going to just go by the history of how bass sounds in most recorded music you're not going to use it a whole lot but I don't think that at the end of the day spending time on that stuff is is time misspent because I think ultimately it's still gonna give someone musical wherewithal to understand like maybe what a different instrument plays like if you know someone's like well I can play a sharp 11 chord you know on bass or I know how to play like a few different uh, sus chords like just being able to identify that sound just through practicing and learning some of those things, even though it's not necessarily going to be applicable on, on a gig. Um, I don't think that negates its value. And I think, I, agree. I think, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I think that's, that's the thing. I mean, I, I don't like a lot of the basis tropes because like the whole, like, you know, like Jock only needed four strings or like, you'll never <laughs> use that on your wedding band gig. I think, a lot of those things are dangerous because I definitely, I think we're in a strange place now with this business where, and I don't mean because of COVID, I think you've got people that really just like playing stuff because they like songs and Mm -hmm. that informs the way they play. And I think that's a valid way to play, but I think steering someone who's curious about music in one direction versus another, because it leads to more security or some kind of like, like uh endless stream of work. I mean, I, I don't know if that's really the right motivation. I think it's more important to understand, the advice is understand the context of how you think you'll be able to use it and understand that like, as a hireable bass player, people may not want that from you. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't spend time on it. It just means that like, if the hierarchy of needs is like, I wanna work and I wanna make money, then it's like that, probably shouldn't be on the top that shouldn't be your top card but if the mindset is hey I'm just trying to get good at music bass is my instrument I want to dive into some different things then I would say the biggest thing is like try to find the most musical way to use those things so like with those techniques that involve lots of notes at once like kind of like the um I I kind of joke I I this is not right to say this, in, in but I used to, I formally referred to those techniques as like AK-47 type techniques <laughs> because, you know, it's like just rounds and rounds of notes. Yeah. But I'm not, you know, that's not really, there's other ways to say it. So let's just call them techniques that generate lots of notes with very little movement. I think the real value in learning those, to make them utilize, a, like, to make them any kind of thing that someone could utilize, there's no shortcuts for practicing that stuff with like, like drum machines and and like metronomes. Cause just to be able to get those things to groove and feel a certain way, which is possible. Like, I think it's important to do the treat it like you're playing with one finger or two fingers or a pick or your thumb, like, like a, like just like a classic slap baseline. Like it's one of those things, like it Mm -hmm. has to be the rhythmic components have to be addressed like anything else. And I think that's why a lot of that stuff, maybe it's frowned upon because some folks don't do that part, and so it right. doesn't, well there, yeah, it suffers.
0: Uh, there There is a time and a place for everything. Um, mm-hmm. I think that knowing and being able to do those and use those techniques can help you in everything that you're doing while you're playing. I mean, like you were just saying, you're practicing with a metronome. You're, mm-hmm. you're basically essentially playing the drums on the bass, which right. is only going to make you a better bass player. Right. So it's just figuring out. Um, mostly listening (laughs) and knowing where you need to, to place those things and use your voice. And yeah, uh, um, I agree with that. Let's talk about gear, dude. Yeah, sure. Um, what's your go-to bass?
1: Um, well, I would say, I would say like, like a lot of bass players, you know, I have like a couple Fenders. I have this Fender Lee jazz bass that I got just off the shelf. And I, I modif- I've had it modified over the years, and it's passive. I really like that bass a lot. Um, it tracks well. Do you usually really well. play? It's, do you usually that?
0: play passive? You, uh, do you prefer that over
1: active? I think the way it worked for me, uh, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I do, um, I usually have pedals involved, and and I guess I always felt like passive bases. Um, played with certain types of stomp boxes in a, in a more uh, natural way because sometimes the preamp, you know, you're adding gain and stuff, or maybe you don't want gain and it makes everything react differently. So, so I kind of got into this idea where, um, you know, cause I, I like active basses a lot and I have, a, I have a few, I, but I think what I learned just from years of like trying to get more inside of wanting to duplicate sounds that, I, I was happy with, I found that like, if I like the way a bass sounds passively, um, then incorporating a preamp is only going to enhance that Mm. versus like pickups that don't sound good. And then you're using the preamp to cover up, which is ultimately like a shitty pair of pickups or, you know, (laughs) I so I, I think that, that is where my search, I guess the, the quest for tone, that's, that's what sort of started that whole thing. Like I, I so, um, you know, in the way of like the, all the Fender basses I have, like I have two jazz basses and a P bass. Those are, those are um, passive. And then another bass I use a lot, I have this five string that my friend, Kevin Brubaker made for me. It's like a, uh, like a signature bass. And it's essentially just a five string version of my Getty Lee jazz bass. You know, it's, it's essentially a five string J bass it's super even. Um, Kevin has a unique way of building the instruments. Like there's a, he has a thing that he, I guess he has a patent for it called the neck through. So it's essentially a bolt on neck and it goes further into the body. So it kind of, it has similar attributes of, of like what a neck through does, but it still has like that, uh, that, that sort of bolt on thing that we all love so much. So that that particular bass, I probably record it passive most of the time. That has a pair of the Nordstrand blades in it. It sounds like a really great 70s J bass. Then it's got an Aguilar preamp in there. And when I want to go active, I, I'll switch it on. But that's been like one of my favorite five strings. Because um, I never really had a five string jazz bass until that. It was something I needed in the collection. That bass really kind of handles it beautifully. Um, I have a Stramberg Bowden bass, which is like a multi-scale headless thing. That thing sounds amazing and it's, it's chambered. So it's extremely light and, um, playing that instrument. It, it, it sort of just feels like the most futuristic thing in the world, but it's very ergonomic and it sounds (laughs) great. And, uh, it, I like using that bass a lot. It's also probably the most playable bass i have like so basically like if i don't know it, it's it's hard to explain but like my technique is like 20 percent better on that instrument on that i don't bass. know why it is huh. yeah because it's just so easy and effortless to play so if i'm like trying to really go like super uh i don't know man like if i'm just trying to go as hard as crazy as i can that's the bass i'll play it on um okay. i mean i can i can definitely like do that stuff on in other instruments, but just the way it's set up, it's so easy to play and it sounds, it's, it not at the expense of like tone or, 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 uh, like,
0: so that's your flash bass.
1: That's my flash base. And it looks, right. it looks cool, man. Like it, it definitely looks like it's from the future. Nice. Um, and then I have, uh, I have a couple bases on the East coast. One that I really love a lot. I'm going to bring out here is a, uh, a base, Built by my late great friend, uh, this guy, Tim Cloonan, uh, he, he had a company called Callow Hill and they made really amazing bases. He built me this short scale five, oh, which okay. sounds incredible. Um, and then, you know, I've just been working, I started working with specter a little bit and awesome. I have like, I have a Euro classic, which is, I guess f- essentially like the five strings they made in the eighties. That base sounds incredible. Um, I don't really know what to say about it other than it has like that that's the, the quote-unquote specter sound um right which i which i love and and it it's just
0: you, can you uh dive into that a little bit more what the specter sound might be
1: so for some of the listeners well <laughs> excuse me i think you know it's strange because again like going back to being like a kid growing up in the 80s like those were bases you'd see in videos like that was like a thing like i remember watching the um police synchronicity synchronicity concert and sting was playing like a white specter and um mm-hmm. then of course you know uh other people were playing it like uh I know I know Guy Pratt was using one on like this Madonna track he played on like on like a prayer and then later, you know, like I, I found out about like Doug Wimbish, you know, and his his sound was like that. And, yeah. and um I think the biggest thing if, if it's someone, if someone's listening who's like me is coming from like maybe more of a bolt-on neck perspective, there's something about the neck through bass, which is new to me personally, where it's like there's a certain amount of low end that's there and there's a certain amount of low mids that are there, but then there's also like a really, really, uh, it's just a really, really well-balanced articulate sound, but it's okay. also really like powerful you know, and yeah, for sure. I start. Yeah. I th- I think there were things that I didn't understand about how that bass worked in a recording setting until I started like kind of doing a deep dive and watching like documentaries. And like, I know, um, like, you know, I, I like a lot of metal stuff too. I know Jason Newstead used the specter on the black album. I know that was like a defining part of the way that album sounded. Like the mm-hmm. bass is really crisp Every note's like huge sounding. It doesn't get lost in anything, and I also know that like Rex from Pantera, like all those records, yeah, um, yeah, he's using at least you know like some of the like I think Far Beyond Driven. He's playing like a a, a Specter on that. So there's yeah. there's something about that. But it's like it's weird how like for the funk and like heavier stuff, those basses just really, really have like something special. But um, it cuts. I don't. Through. You know, yeah. Definitely. It's hard to sum up. I yeah. don't know. I'm not, yeah. I don't know if I'm doing a good job of describing it or not.
0: You're doing great, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> sure.
1: I appreciate you. Um, okay. What about strings? Uh, I use Dunlops. I've been using the super brights since, since they were beta testing them actually. Awesome. Um, I use them too. Yeah. Yeah. I, um I dig them. I, I really like the way they sound. I, some of the bases I have, the Steels, some of my bases, I have nickel. Um, I don't know that I'm more loyal to one of those types of metals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I dig them. <laughs> I don't know. I, th- there's a point where it's like, you know, it just drops off. Like I know what gauges I like and then it's like nickel or steel. It's like, I don't know. Like I just depends on whatever direction the wind blows that day. Gotcha. But, um, I came up with their hashtag for a while. They're using this hashtag called turn on your brights. Ah, That was, that was my contribution to that, that whole thing when it originally cool. came That's out.
0: It's very cool. Right on, dude. Um, how about uh, effects?
1: Well, effects that, you know, I, I use, I use some of the MXR stuff and then I have um, like various things I've cherry picked over the years. Like I, I was just kind of going through some stuff. Cause there's always that thing where it's like, if I don't use this for a couple of years, should I sell it? And then I'll like, think about it. And I like, nah, I shouldn't sell it. Um, <laughs> so that so would I make ha- you a hoarder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like I, you know, so I have like one of those old green deal for, uh, the line six, like that delay model. Oh, oh Okay. Yeah. I, I like that one a lot, but, but more just as far as like what's on my board at any given time. Like I have an old OC two that I really like a lot. Um, like the boss, like classic octave pedal. And mine actually, I don't know when this happened, but the red LED got sheared off somehow. So I I got, I had this guy, this guy, Matt from 30th Street Guitars in New York City. I had him put like a green LED there. So I know if someone steals my pedal, like I know to to say there's a green LED on this thing. It's not red. Um, Uh, That
0: that is wise.
1: Yeah, (laughs) but that thing, you know, that thing is, is kind of a tank. And, and, um, even though there's a lot of really good alternatives to that pedal. Now I still find myself really liking that I have some dark glass pedals. I really like, like I have the B three K I've one of the older right ones. On. And then I have like the X seven, which I really like a lot. And, um, what else do I have for a while? I was using the micro for, um, lead stuff, but I got sort of tired of it because it just seems to be a thing that everyone wants to use. So I I got away from it, but I did find some really interesting sounds that I liked that were pretty cool with it. And then, um, what else do I have? That's, that's basically it. Like I got, you know, there you know, i got a bunch of different envelope filters. Um,
0: is there something that, that, uh, is just like a constant, like this is, you know, when they hear you play, they they know you're going to use this. I, I'm i not saying that, you know, you're going to do it every single time, but, right. you know, like, what do you have to have with you when you go to a session or, uh, uh, you know, go, go do a show?
1: Yeah. You know, it's weird. I think I always want to have an octave pedal, even if I'm playing like a five string bass, not because I'd use it with the low B, but like, sometimes I like the, uh, I like what it does. And if I'm going to be doing anything with subs, sometimes I like that. Um, overdrive too. I think having some kind of an overdrive, even if it's not an overtly distorted, saturated sound, sometimes just to give it a little bit of extra dirt on the signal to help, you know, like especially playing with subs, like that's one of the only ways to get in front of the kick drum, sonically. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Tim LaFave actually taught me that when I was in New York. Um, It was like one of the few hints, he just kind of randomly dropped to me once. He was like, yeah, you know, I use this overdrive pedal because it helps push that sound. Um, and it doesn't get lost between the kick drum and the other things going on. I never so, even
0: I hadn't even thought of it like that. Wow, that's yeah. that's like I'm enlightened. Thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, thanks to Tim. But that's that kind of stuff is is cool. I I haven't really used a compressor pedal that much, but but like I'm I've thought about maybe like starting to keep one around for certain things. Um, it's strange though because my board right now is not, it's sort of like non-existent. Like I took it all apart. And until we're all out playing again, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely know that um, even though this isn't really an effect, the pedal tuner, like I have one of those, uh, um, the TC Electronic Polytune. Is that or, the
0: strobe thing? Yeah. Sorry. Okay.
1: Um, it, and it bypasses your signal when you're not, you right. know, when you're using, so I, I use yeah. that as a mute sometimes. I think of it as a mute switch that helps me stay in tune. That's how I.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to think about it. What about amps, dude?
1: Uh, I've been using Aguilar for since like 2007 or no, 2005. Um, Right on. So I've been using like I have a, I have the Tonehammer 700, which is a pretty dope head. And then I have one of the, one of the SL410s. But amps are strange because there's a lot of them that I like, man. Yeah. But but I've been an Aguilar endorser for, for I guess math I think sixteen years.
0: Wow, very cool. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's we are just grateful people.
1: Absolutely, do, man. They're they're, they're such did. good dudes, yeah. and um, you know they've always been great to me. And you know I I like I kind of like where their stuff falls in the range of the tonal stuff that they they offer you know like it's sort of like they have one foot in the classic sound and one foot in the modern sound so i i like that a lot that it helps me kind of it sort of complements the wheelhouse i tend to operate within so i dig that right Mm. on
0: man how do you what what still challenges you musically what do you what do you practice
1: i still try to think about playing things that i hear in real time you know And, and I try to, I want, I want, I always want my ears to have more power than my hands, Uh, even though like, you know, we all need our hands to be able to respond and stuff. Yeah. So I, I try to think about that more. Um, I don't know. It's like, there's, there's things that I have constantly worked on since, you know, since like getting into certain types of music, like I still practice standards and, and songs that have harmonically challenging things, but I don't, it's not really to like throw the gauntlet down and say, hey, I can play this tune. It's more just it gives my brain and my ears something to think about. Um, but then the other the other thing is I've been practicing a lot of guitar too. So, oh, cool.
0: Have you been I've writing? Been working, Have you been huh? writing a lot, staying creative and writing?
1: Yeah, I've been writing. Um, I've been working on, like, different voicings. Uh, I've been working on my picking, which has been helping my bass picking. Um, Very cool. Yeah. I think... The biggest thing that I try to work on, though, is like it's mostly just trying to like realize my ideas, you know, and it's like if I hear something, it's like, okay, how can I flesh this out? You know, how can I how can I make this work a certain way? I mean, because I I definitely will spend time at least five times out of the seven days a week. Just maintaining things that my hands can do, but I don't spend like eight hours a day on technique anymore. Like I, yeah. that's why I think letting my ears steer the steer the ship creates a lot of challenges because sometimes I hear stuff I can't play, like right. or or I'll hear something that's not really part of what my vocabulary is, and I'll want to understand what it, what it is I'm trying to achieve with it. So so that's that's kind of what what keeps me engaged, and then. I always leave time to improvise uh, every day. I like to give myself some kind of a guided way to improvise. Um, I do and the same thing.
0: Huh? I do the same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think, um, there's a guitar player that, that I'm really, um, a big fan of and he's kind of a friend too. this guy, Wayne Krantz. Wayne has a really cool way that he practices improvisation where he limits He might create like some chord changes and he might limit where he plays on the, on the neck of the guitar. Like he might pick like a five fret um, area and not deviate from that. So what that does is it, it really robs him of the ability sometimes, depending on where that five frets are, you can't rely on the shapes. You have to use your ear and you have to, you have to play with more intention. So I think that is something that I, that I try to make sure I'm making myself do because, you know, otherwise I feel like I get stagnant, you know, I like to be, I like to create situations where maybe like my ideas get stifled or, you know, I'm not, it's not going to be killing all the time, but at least I'm in that moment and I'm doing something. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I'll transcribe, like I'll try to learn bass lines. Like I always wanted to learn or guitar lines. Like I got through the first half of Van Halen one on guitar. Oh, wow. I'm, cause I've been, you know, Good like one. working on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, so that's cool. You know, I don't know, man, that's, nice. that's kind of well, the, All
0: these things are, are part of just, um, um, honing in on your craft and, and on your journey to becoming a well-rounded musician. I think Yeah, um, they're all important. Yeah. yeah. You know, what do you challenge.
1: do? Like what's, what's your, man. what's your, uh, cause you know, you've, you've done a lot of different types of gigs. Like, do you ever find that like stuff that you did a lot when you were infectious grooves, Well, you know, does that do you maintain that kind of stuff or do you sort of like I try to? Well, you know, obviously
0: the stuff that I was doing in infectious grooves and suicidal, I'm not going to use in a lot of some of the other gigs that I've done or I'm doing. But I do like to just kind of go back and go over certain techniques and just jam out. That's what one of the reasons why I do the Instagram stuff is just so I can kind of free my mind and my hands and my creativity with no rules, no expectations, and just jam out, create things that, you know, I don't, you wouldn't necessarily probably do when you go in to do a session like, um, you know, for right. someone else. But I'm free to do it myself because this is my Instagram and I can, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, man, um, I try to challenge myself, um, whether it be um, creating interesting um lines that kind of make you move or with effects. You know, I just really try to d- come up with three different things a day, every single day. Yeah. And I've been, you know, producing a lot of tracks too. Um so just building all of that stuff together has really helped, especially this last year. It's helped right. me as a as a musician completely. Yeah. Um all right, there's this this or that thing that we do on here sometimes, and it's just uh, rapid fire questions.
1: Oh, great. I love are, rapid Are you fire. ready? All right. Yeah.
0: Here we go. Text or call? Call. Active or passive, which we already discussed, but I'll let you throw it out there again. Um, Passive. Uh, Beach hut or cabin? Beach hut. Jameson or Jocko?
1: Oh, that's hard, man. <laughs> Damn, that's, that's tough. You can't say both, right? That's a cop out. Well, you can. I, I would say both. Okay.
0: Coffee or tea? Coffee. Yes, sir. We got to talk yeah. about coffee. You know what? Right mm-hmm. now, for this uh, last three minutes, this is going to be base and brews because I'm drinking cold brew and I don't know what you're drinking, but cheers to that.
1: Yeah, I, I'm drinking... Um well, I, I bought, I have a couple different beans that I, that I got. Uh, I'm, today I'm using, um, intelligentsia it's, uh, El Diablo, which is sort of a dark roast and, um, basically, yeah, I, I have an AeroPress and I have a grinder. So I just grind it up and brew it like a cup. It's like a cup at a time kind of thing, but.
0: Are you getting, get, it, you know, you're getting fan- fancy.
1: <laughs> you know what, yeah, like I, I try to go out once a day and get coffee somewhere else, but like I I think I take pride in like trying to make good coffee for myself or, you know, whoever might be here. And so yeah. I've, it's just been like a rabbit hole of like trying to figure out what's the right temperature for the water, you know, and like... Oh, we got to have a the,
0: conversation on that later on. Yeah, to, I'm, I'm not an that.
1: expert, but I've I've learned a few things.
0: Right on, man. Um, Can you let our listeners know where they can find you, social media, any music you got up?
1: There's my website, stevejenkinsbass.com. That's probably like the best hub type situation that that um, has all the links. But but Instagram is probably the best place to go also. There's also links there. Uh, that's at Steve Jenkins on Instagram. And then I got, my music is on Bandcamp. Uh, I have like two records and I put out a single uh, like a month and a half ago. Um, awesome. So all that stuff's there. What's the name of it? Uh, the name of the single or the name of the? The name of the single. The name of the single is Mecca. Okay. Oh, and cool. it's basically just, gi- it's about a giant robot hawk. Well, <laughs> <there's a> video, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, there's that a is video awesome. on, uh, on YouTube and stuff, yeah.
0: Right on. Uh, where, uh, is there a name for the Bandcamp link? or?
1: Oh, that's just Steve Jenkins, uh, period, Bandcamp. Dot, oh, it's like sorry period what, what century are we in steve jenkins.bandcamp.com
0: <laughs> you're awesome <laughs> oh man uh that's our show for today i uh, thank you for joining us stay healthy and kind spread love and good vibes and inspiration and remember you got this follow your path and just play i am josh paul and i hope to see you out there sometime soon thanks again to dunlop for making the show possible and uh be sure to check out bass freaks wherever you get your podcasts All right, everybody. Cheers.